Welcome to the first ever Canna Book Club here on Resonate Radio. If you want to take part in the discussion, you can join us live on Clubhouse at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time every single Monday. Welcome to the second meeting of the Resonators Book Club on Resonate Radio. Today will be the first recorded session for us, and we are reviewing and discussing cannabis-related science papers. Um, and without further ado, I will pass it to our host, uh, Casey Alpine. Hello, everyone. My name is Casey. I am from Southern California, now living in Humboldt, California. I have a bachelor's in environmental biology, which kind of led me to get a cool science reading group going. So here we are. And thanks, everyone, for being here. And I'd like to introduce Dr. Anna Schwabe. Yeah, we're talking about my favorite subject, which is cannabis science. I have a PhD in uh, biological education and cannabis variation using genetics um, as sort of the backdrop for my research. And um, yeah, it was super science to, or super excited to talk about cannabis science. Um, London, you want to go next? Sure. Hi, guys. I'm London. You're neighborhood cannabis nerd i just just love it <laughs> uh i i have a whole dry course i teach people how to get growing at home i believe the quickest way to break cannabis stigma is to get as many people growing cannabis as possible and to get cannabis in every garden i can uh, i love being part of this group it was amazing to uh, be able to set this up and be an active member in this is very interesting group I, I love the idea of being able to bring that science down and, and really show people what's happening out there maybe break through some of that pro science maybe show some amazing people some great new stuff we're excited because we are also recording this for resonate radio podcast have a lot of fun and be able to share it with as many people as we can later on. So I'm super excited to be here. Casey, Dr. Anna S. Molly, thank you so much for allowing me to be part of this state. Thank you, London. Um, and yeah, I just want to introduce myself as well. Uh, my name is Molly. Um, I am uh, part of Resonate Cannabis uh, Incorporated as well as uh, Resonate Radio. I'm really excited about this uh, book club because I never really got to go to school for anything science related and it's just something that I'm really curious about now that I'm actually working with a plant and would like to understand it uh, better on a scientific level and uh, I'm really happy to be in the company of such uh, smart and uh, amazing experienced people. Uh, thank you for doing this with us. Thanks everyone. Just to kind of give an overview of how the uh, Resonators Book Club works in our broadcasting. We usually begin with introductions. We will introduce the paper. Uh, usually we'll be sending out the paper right after each session so that you have a whole week to review it if you are interested. And then we just meet here every Monday at 5.30 and get to looking at the paper and dissecting it together. So we're also going to start off by just kind of, I'm just going to read the abstract because that's always kind of the first thing you do when you read a paper, a scientific paper. 
So this paper is titled Scientific Prospects for Cannabis Microbiome Research to Ensure Quality and Safety of Products. So the abstract, cannabis legalization has occurred in several countries worldwide. Along with steadily growing research in cannabis healthcare science, there is an increased interest for scientific-based knowledge in plant microbiology and food science with work connecting the plant microbiome and plant health to product to product quality across the value chain of cannabis. This review paper provides an overview of the state of knowledge and challenges in cannabis science and thereby identifies critical risk management and safety issues in order to capitalize on innovations while ensuring product quality control. It highlights scientific gap areas to steer future research with an emphasis on plant microbiome sciences committed to using cutting edge technologies for more efficient cannabis production and high quality products intended for recreational, pharmaceutical, and medic yeah, medicinal use. So we're going to go section by section. I'll start with the introduction. Cannabis science has been a top-down process, and we are studying the effects of the plant on humans and animals before conducting agronomic and ecological studies. Um, I'm not sure if, how, if this is the case for other like medicinal or recreational plants. I mean, the only other examples I guess, would be food plants and maybe like herbal supplements, but I don't know if other herbal supplements are, well, yeah, there's a lot of, um, I feel like we need a lot more science with like the interactions and ecologies of different herbs and there definitely is something going on there anyway so we're we're it's probably best that we take a systems biology approach when we're looking at cannabis from here on out um we're talking about uh, model plant research is usually done with the plant arabidopsis thaliana um, here they also mention papaver somniferum, which is um, opium poppies. But Arabidopsis is a very, um, very important organism. It is a model plant because it is just like really perfect for growing in a lab. <laughs> uh, it grows fast. It self-pollinates. It, it, it produces a lot of seeds and we have the whole genome mapped and it's really important for genomic research. So we, it's important that we know the plants genome slash microbiome interactions and these can change under plant stress or disease conditions. Um, and we need this information to know more about cannabis because we don't have it. Um, it is difficult to understand the microbiome, especially um, in relation to the region of cultivation. And it doesn't help that climate change is making things worse because, you know, plants evolved over millions of years with, you know, pretty stable, well, not super stable, but pretty good uh, climate, <laughs> at least reliable until there was, you know, big changes like freezing or whatnot. But here we are and the planet is roasting. 
And I don't think that's very good for plants. <laughs> they don't really have a good chance to run away. <laughs> so next generation uh, genetic sequencing, which is basically just genetic sequencing <laughs> used in model plant studies are confirming interplay between plants and their microbial communities. We know that, you know, the soil microbiome is just as important to growing plants as is any kind of application you're going to try to do to it. You got to support those microbial communities to have a happy plant. Um, this is also called the halogenome. Uh, and we still need to improve the quality and safety of products, uh, especially those concerning the microbiome and pathogenic contaminants. Uh, London, you want to take it away with why advanced cannabis science? Yeah, I mean, I, I really, I, I appreciate you giving me this one, Casey. I had a really tough one last time. I think this is this is an <laughs> awesome segment. I'll, I'll be honest, I'm probably the one of the milder educated people in the, in the group, I, though I read a lot and study a lot. I, I have no real, not a lot of real formal education when it comes to science, chemistry, and genetics. Uh, but I love learning about it, and I love, I especially love jumping into bacteria and the microbiome and that whole region. So if we're looking at it, I, just as an example, it, do you guys mind if I use common vernacular of stale crest or, or mouse ear crest? Do you guys mind if I, in, instead of using the Arabidopsis, is that okay if I use common? If it helps, yeah. Do what you gotta do. But maybe just let us know if you have the reference or like what you're referring to first and then from then on. Yeah, so I'll just I'll just refer to Arabidopsis because it's just an awesomely long word uh, as as stale crest or or mouse ear crest or even I'll just say crest to make things a little bit simpler for myself and also give everybody else an understanding because we are commonly it's commonly understood crest mustards it's a whole relationship and group of families will give a lot more people a little bit more connection with it so just as a point of example we we know we have been able to show through the microbiome of cannabis dot uh, that we understand a whole lot more about the microbiome of this plant than we do cannabis. We're looking at ingesting cannabis in a larger, uh, sorry, I have it in front of me and it's making it a lot harder for me to get through it. Um, we need to research more based on the advancements of cannabis. We're looking at in, ingesting this plant on a regular basis. Why advance cannabis uh, science? Well, because it's obvious. We don't know enough about it. We don't know what these bacteria, these beneficial and detrimental bacteria, have an effect on us, our health, or uh, on the systems in which that we're growing in. We don't have a lot of research in it, and especially if we're going to take a lot of these things in and contaminants we need to be able to understand what is safe for the public and what is what is the current state of the cannabis data that we have it's just insufficient uh and it really doesn't tell us what in the long run we need to be doing with cannabis when it comes to protecting against uh, disease causing pathogens using beneficial mycorrhiza or like mycotoxin myco mitotoxic genetic molds and what those can do to us as people as well as what it can do to the plant and the other bacteria in the group so we there's so much that we need to know because well i mean 
for people and we need to experiment with it. I think it, that's what I concluded out of it. It needs to be, we need to be safe and, and sustainable uh, and that we can look at using the microbiome and, and researching this area to develop this technology. It's also safe and okay for us as well. I'm London, I'm done speaking. Thanks, London. Hey, Molly, where does, where are the opportunities for cannabis research? Sorry, cannabis science. This and is Molly. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, in the third portion, we have a really cool um, table that I'm gonna add into Telegram chat um, and we'll link in the description as well um so essentially in uh this table they have reviewed and analyzed um the data that was published in between 1900 and 2018 so there was over 10,000 um publications on cannabis in the scientific literature so most of it about 50 percent is on medicine and food processing topics um then the next one after that goes for the genetics pharmaceuticals and management which is about 40 percent um, of that literature about five percent uh, covers the medical imaging um, and they uh, put emphasis on mri results in the context of cannabis related health issues um, and in contrast to all of that, uh, the plant microbiome science using omics-driven approaches, uh, which is genomics, uh, transcriptomics, proteomics, or metabolomics. Um, I believe these are sciences that study uh, genes, uh, proteins, and um, other things in the cells. So from my understanding, it's like on the cell level that, um, you know, the papers would be, and they're only about... 0.6 of a percent of published papers so there's definitely not that much out there yet so this definitely could be a huge opportunity um, for you know the direction of future studies um, that should be including a greater emphasis on these omics based approaches um, yeah and uh, right now there's more countries that uh, are legalizing so uh, you know with that being said hopefully you know it can gain more momentum and it will be covered more in the um, coming researches thanks molly hey dr anna what are the major risks associated with cannabis Okay, so this section is kind of highlighting that cannabis is a plant. It grows with dense flowers, which can harbor things like um, molds, fungus, as well as um, other pathogens from, you know, plant pathogens, things like that. And so um plus uh, and to build on what molly's section said with there is a very little comparative uh, you know compared to other literature and, and just in generally in the in the cannabis literature this is lacking severely um it's an area that's lacking severely in research so less than one percent of the published articles refer to the cannabis microbiome which includes uh fungi and bacteria where whereas pathogens, mycotoxins, and product spoilage organisms represent a mere 0.5% of the total number of papers. So we know we know from just growing lettuce and tomatoes that there are 
um, there are things that grow on plants that can be harmful to us if we ingest them, um, such as, you know, I mean, E. coli comes to mind. Um, but we don't really have this research available to us in cannabis. And the reason for this is that it's been, you know, illegal for so long. And as far as research goes, our hands have been tied uh, uh, being able to study this plant. So that's a, a large reason why we don't have a lot of these studies that are very, very severely needed. Um, and of course, you know, as as the the knee is as as doors open up, as states and countries start to legalize cannabis, there's going to be a need for larger scale production of cannabis, which leads to um, increased production and then, of course, increased risk of contaminants. So as you're growing more and more plants together in confined spaces, um, you know, you have you have small micro, uh, what do I want to call them, like um, ecosystems, <laughs> microcosms that are um, created within these plant grows that can harbor bacteria, can harbor mold, um, pathogens, things like that. And we just don't know the extent of this. Um, what else did I, I wrote down a bunch of stuff. So we've got molds, also pesticides. We don't know. There's a very small list of pesticides um, but we don't actually know, and especially since most of this cannabis, I mean, there's a lot of concentrates and extracts that are produced, but a lot of this is going straight from from being ignited into your lungs. And we don't know what some of these things do when they're lit on fire and then inhaled. We don't know. We do know that fire changes the chemistry of um, almost anything that you light on fire, but we don't know what necessarily that is and so um yeah we have all of these different things and um we just don't know what they do um oh i have a, a note here that um let's see a recent uc davis medical center report authorized by w walker based on dna analysis found that more than 20 percent of tested medical cannabis samples were contaminated with a large range of uh, or a range of dangerous bacteria and fungal molds which is so that that the paper just com comes right out and says that i mean i find that um concerning to say the least and you know especially people you know when we think about medical cannabis people who are uh using it as a medicine some of these folks have compromised immune systems or hiv or um whatever the case may be but on top of what they're already dealing with in their own medical conditions adding medicine that could potentially introduce a, you know more toxins or whatever really is concerning so we don't we just don't we don't we don't know that so those are all major risks um with cannabis right now is that we've got this you know these things that we we know are harmful, but we have no idea to what extent and, and to what level uh, it, it takes in cannabis. And I'm done speaking. Thanks, Dr. Anna. Next, I'm gonna talk about what are the sources of post-infection and diminished quality versus safety of cannabis products? And this is kind of a doozy. There's like a lot of very specific cool information here about like 
cannabis pathogens. So the data for cannabis fungus relationships have been obtained by using culturing methods. And some of that has been published in peer reviewed articles and research reports worldwide. Uh, we have a pathobio list on table S1, which includes fungus, their risk or potential threat and origin. Uh, if you are looking for that table, it's actually in the end of the of the paper. There's a references section, or sorry, there's a supplementary materials section, and that will have table S1. It's a link, but it's basically just a huge list of um, host-specific pathogens and what they do to cannabis that we know of and where that's happening because we're seeing that a lot of this microbiome and just like different growing situations and like reactions to the climates it's a regional thing and i mean that's kind of why you see kind of a, a similar growth kind of pattern between plants that are grown along the equator for instance or just in similar origins so host specific pathogens such as cercopsora cannabina um, have also been reported in agricultural regions worldwide so we're seeing these specific pathogens everywhere um in specific to that cercopsora, we're seeing it in Eurasia, Africa, and North America. Um, <clears throat> occurrence of fungal pathobiota, such as Fusaria on cannabis sativa host, shows certain site specificity. Um, and we get into very specific areas and species. Uh, what else? Let's see. Um, similar distribution patterns linked with this plant's production system have been detected on a worldwide scale. Uh, for example, we'll see Aclea aquatica is a water mold, and we see it in India. Um, Pleosferolina cannabina, which causes pepper rot, we're seeing in uh, USSR slash Russia. Um, in China, we're seeing a Paxinia synodontis causing rust and verticillium albo atrium wilt. So wilting and rusting. Um, yeah, so each kind of region has its own pathogens that are doing very specific things. But obviously, we're going to have similar um, physiological, pathological issues in multiple different regions um so it's going to be important to prevent the spread of unwanted fungal species in emerging cannabis growing regions especially those that kind of dr anna was mentioning we're going to get larger grows and we're going to need to reinforce quarantine assessment and control measures in the cannabis trade let's see two interesting and very specific cannabis pathogens are Botrytis cinerea and Erysiphe species complex. They are the most widespread pathogens of cannabis worldwide. Um, we know that um, they're, they're damaged um, in bee cinerea, 
they're damaging flower buds and stalks. They're causing gray mold and attack flowers, fresh fruits, and vegetables in hundreds of other hosts, including vineyards worldwide. So this bee cinerea produces two major phytotoxins, um, which are important virulence factors in their existence. They have this gene called the BCATF1 gene, and it's been reported as the global regulator of virulence, which means it's controlling various differentiation processes and phytotoxin production. There's no effective management measures against this this um, bee cinerea or any cannabis associated molds for that matter due to their genomic plasticity and development of drug resistance um, and I believe genomic plasticity means that they are very capable of kind of messing with their genome to adapt to their environment and resist things like drugs so you know we can we can throw pesticides and, and biocides at things, but sometimes they become drug resistant. And that's why we have things like MRSA, which is not going to be killed very easily by antibiotics and is a, becoming a really big problem. And probably will, if we don't do anything like quality control, we could see issues that we see in like the industrial farming industry where we're like <laughs> breeding drug resistant bacteria in the soil because fertilizer runoff and this and that um so also that erysophyce species complex um is the causal agent for powdery mildew that dang stuff um that, and we see that on lots of uh squash family organisms um it's attacking the leaves and buds there's no cannabis varieties resistant to powdery mildew but various plant immune pathways can limit the extent of fungal invasion so the more we know about these immune pathways the more we might be able to stop things like this powdery mildew uh, recessively inherited loss of function alleles of the mildew locus o or mlo genes confer a prominent type of effective powdery mildew resistance so, you know, we're, the more we know about the cannabis plant's gen genome, we might be able to find more genetic sections, more sections of the genome that are responsible for things like powdery mildew resistance. So this calls for each agricultural region to chart and address potential pathogens and their risks and establish guidelines for safe and sustainable cannabis production. I agree with that. So, um, yeah. So as, as London was saying, medical and recreational cannabis grown in indoor facilities is exposed to a plethora of microbial contaminants occurring during pre and post harvest. So both while the plant is growing, as I was talking about a little bit before, and then post harvest as well. So um it matters how you dry if you're drying and it's not in a well ventilated area or if you're drying in a, in a humid environment there's the potential for molds to grow and, and also when you're storing it and i know you know a lot of people are very diligent about um you know making sure that they're doing this well but there's a lot of folks who are not uh, uh diligent and um, so they talk about in the paper colony forming units um, 
that's how you express microbial loads per gram or milliliter. And it has to be less than 10,000 values higher than the acceptable level um, indicate poor handling practices. But the cutoff hasn't really been... So we have, we for other plant materials that are, that are handled in a similar manner, like tobacco is really the only um, legal comparable product that we have um that's what we talk about right so um but we but we but we also do extracts for cannabis which we don't really do with tobacco and um so in microbial contaminants when we do uh, extracts we're we're concentrating the cannabinoids and and possibly terpenes we're also concentrating any microbial or fungal contaminants, toxins that might be there as well, which is not good. Um, and not only that, when you, when you, well, hold on, I think I'm getting ahead of myself here. So how they talk about gamma irradiation here where you can, um, expose the material to high power gamma, gamma radiation to to kill any live cells that might be present or but that doesn't really kill it, it'll kill the cell and the dna of the cell of the, of the of the bacteria or fungus or whatever you're trying to kill which is great killed that but it doesn't get rid of it it's still there and any toxins that it produced are still there so how do you get rid of that they talk about then um, about high temperatures. Well, <laughs> if you're making extracts, you may be already exposing your plant material to high temperatures just to make the extracts by themselves. So that's okay. And that's, that's a form of sterilization. But if you're talking about flour that you're going to sell, of course, you don't want to be doing that because now you're decarbing um, the flour before you even get to sell it. Um, and then... They go on to talk about the health risks of the different contaminants. And so we're talking about, you know, different kinds of toxins from different kinds of sources. But there are multiple health risks, which, of course, include, you know, pulmonary issues. If you're inhaling a toxin and it gets into your lungs, of course, that's going to cause maybe lung infections. Um, can cause uh, liver cancer, lung cancer. Also, these toxins can cross the placental barrier, so that's only an issue really for pregnant females, uh, but it's definitely something to think about if you are pregnant and you're um, consuming cannabis. Uh, they also have mutagenic and carcinogenic properties, um, aflatoxins specifically. So that means that if they enter your body, they can cause mutations in your cells or cause cancer in your body. So that's, that's no bueno. Um, and for all of these things, we don't have any thresholds for toxicity. So we know these things exist, but we don't know what's the safe limit. These things haven't been tested. Um, and we have no idea what the, what the safe levels are. So there's, although we can test for them, what are we actually, like, what's the number that we're looking for? Are we looking for a zero? Are we looking for under a certain threshold? We don't know. 
Um, so then they go on to talk about, in the case of molds and fungus, spores can survive the extraction extraction process potentially. So although we've extracted it and it's gone through that heat kill step, uh, it, there are some spores that can make it through that kill step, um, but we don't know. Um, and yeah, concentrates also concentrate toxins. Um, we can alter our own gut microbiome. There's been a lot of research recently that have in the last few years that has come out that sh shows that your muck, my, uh, much gut <laughs> gut microbiome is super important in lots of different facets in maintaining homeostasis in your body. Um, but these toxins can drastically alter the gut microbiome, which could definitely lead to other health issues and like i said they go on they they go on to talk about tobacco and some other bacteria but we're comparing it to tobacco which if we're talking leaf for leaf maybe is a good comparison but we don't have a good comparison for concentrates and definitely for vaping and we know that there's been issues with vaping and people have stepped up their game on researching that uh, they don't really go into that but that's definitely a another avenue that for more research um so that's the end of that section and i'm done talking thanks for picking that up dr anna molly would you like to discuss the where are we the risks and i I don't know if this is going over the same stuff, but the risks and effects of consumption of contaminated cannabis. Yes, I think this section is a bit different because it specifically um, addresses only contaminated cannabis. Um, <clears throat> so obviously for uh, patients who have uh, other conditions prior to them, you know, uh, smoking or inhaling, vaping, uh, contaminated uh, cannabis, um, for them, you know, the consequences, of course, can be a lot harsher. Um, however, you know, diseases also have been noticed in the non-immunocompromised patients as well, obviously at a less frequent rate as well. And uh, so what the paper says is that the associated range of diseases is wide from cryptococcal meningitis to invasive or lung aspergillosis or fungal sinusitis. So essentially, together, these cases highlight the potential risks associated with smoking cannabis and understanding, you know, the full health uh, risks that could potentially come with um, ingesting contaminated product are, um, you know, a lot of the times uh, not really brought up because <clears throat> the patients don't always disclose their use um, to the doctors as well. So, you know, for them... Um, obviously, it's a lot harder to also kind of track um, this data more um, accurately. Uh, the other interesting thing that this uh, paper mentions is uh, the vaping devices. Of course, everybody heard about um, the lung disease that was um, causing uh, young people to die last year. There was a few cases. Um, and in this particular paper, they um, note that uh, explored potential risk of microbiologically contaminated cannabis smoking related to THC compound. Apparently, the THC weakened the immune system and reduced the ability of T cells and alveolar, alveolar, oh my god, this is so hard to read, 
uh, macrophages to protect the body from foreign pathogens, thus lowering defense against um, infections in lung, even in healthy cannabis smokers. So I found this part to be um, quite interesting, actually, because, uh, you know, usually we think that if you're a healthy person, you know, it's not really going to affect you. But in the studies, it's been showing that even those um, with a better immune system also have been um, facing the risks. And uh, the fungal contamination also has been highlighted in several case reports, uh, including the aspergillus, which frequently occurs from uh, on cannabis plants. Um, and the other thing that they mentioned as well is that um, you can also be exposed to uh, bacterially contaminated cannabis, uh, including those containing salmonella, <laughs> indicating that oral use may also bear health and safety issues. Um, so not only it comes like through the you know respiratory system, but um, it can cause um, other issues as well. And uh, yeah, so another interesting thing that I noticed here is that there is little known about whether smoking devices help mitigate the problem because vaping is associated with several issues, whereas pipe smoking doesn't seem to be protective. Um, against these contaminants so <laughs> it's uh seems to be like a variety of issues that you could be potentially uh, exposed to if you do consume contaminated cannabis obviously you know here it's with both the bud and the vaping but uh yeah it's a pretty scary range of issues that you could actually get um I almost wish that you know more people were able to actually discuss their use openly with the doctors so that we did have a lot more data um, about this because i think even those who do disclose it frequently um you know sort of minimize the amount that they smoke because they're scared that their you know doctor will not um be very friendly about it i was kind of one of those people who face that situation and uh you know, I can totally see why there is a bit of a lack of um, data on this simply because um, it's illegal in so many places and most of the patients would be quite hesitant to share. And I'm complete. Thank you, Molly. Um, next up, Dr. Anna is going to take it away with the where do the scientific solutions lie? So I'm going to, this is a kind of a long section and I feel like it's, it's a little, it's a little fluffy. What we need scientific research in the way that we do scientific research, which is a systematic approach. It needs to be at all levels of the supply chain from seed to sale, looking at what is causing fungus and molds, how to stop those fungus and molds how do those fungus and molds affect the plant how those fungus and molds affect um humans what are the levels and, and i'm just i'm wrapping it up with fungus and mold, but there's pesticides there's you know heavy metals everything um included in in these toxins um and how do we minimize them you know we're missing all of this um what kinds of biological controls can we use instead of pesticides um, how are these things dispersed? So growing indoors versus outdoors, you know, I talked about uh, micro ecosystems developing in indoor groves. Um, 
how do we uh, how do we approach that so it's just it's just a it's a clear lack of research and it's not for not trying it's just simply due to the fact that researchers haven't been allowed to grow and study this plant um in the way that many people grow it and now that we're scaling up we're finding even more issues um as we're growing things closer together and um at larger scales so yeah we just need a systematic approach we need to kind of from the get-go start analyzing like when do these problems start how do they start how do they get there how do we mitigate them um what do we do after we harvest the plant to make sure that funguses molds aren't growing on the plant and then um you know as far as like even washing the the buds we need to test them so first of all are you washing your buds if you are washing your buds how have you um how well does that work what is your microbial count before and after uh washing your flowers um what is the microbial count before and after extracts like just the whole thing needs to be done in a systematic fashion and that's basically what that whole section says is that we're severely lacking in every facet of this area which is so important to anybody who's consuming cannabis and i'm done speaking thanks dr anna yeah it, i feel like a big focus is the systems biology approach uh, so I'm going to talk about the future technological advancements, section nine. <clears throat> I'm going to make it a little, I'm going to try to breeze through a little faster because we're, we're an hour in, but we're all here. Um, so where are we going? Um, high throughput next generation sequencing, which basically means sequencing plants and cannabis's genomes like a lot of plants very quickly um, will increase study accessibility. There's surveillance networks run by the CDC, such as FoodNet and PulseNet, that could track region-specific susceptibility to microbial outbreaks. So, yeah, let's get, I mean, yeah, let's do the research and let's freaking surveil it and put it out there. We need the information. This promises more efficient surveillance, plant disease and mold contamination control, and global continued advances in high throughput um, next generation sequencing will make microbiome prevention systems, such as that the mold genome gene that I mentioned earlier, um, not mold, but powdery mildew. I cannot think of that. Powdery mildew. Maybe we can use sequencing to develop microbiome prevention systems. Um, so a few cool technologies we've got, if we can improve microbial BCA, which is biochannin A, um, which is, I put, did I put it down? No, I didn't save it. Um, it's basically a, it's an isoflavone, um, which is a secondary compound from plants and it's being used as basically an antimicrobial. Uh, there's also bioactive molecules, which we all love, such as essential oils and terpenes, and silver nanoparticles seem to be plausible control agents. 
And they even come with a possible added benefit of being an antioxidant in cannabis production. Um, I know sovereign silver and silver is a pretty well-known kind of alternative antimicrobial product. Although, again, more research does need to be produced. Um, interestingly, synthetic biologists have been um, they've seen beneficial fungal yeast and bacterial cells as green factories to produce cannabinoids. So, whoa, we can make cannabinoids with fungus and yeast. So, in addition to preventing contamination, this could allow for novel cannabinoids to be synthesized in the lab using natural little things. So, we can not only try to stop the bad, microbes but we can use microbes maybe eventually to produce cannabinoids um it'll probably be how we get a bunch of delta 10 or something like that there's so many novel new cannabinoids that we're starting to see on the market that also need some research but maybe we don't need i mean obviously we want to grow cannabis and it's a a beautiful plant that we're understanding more and more to be very important in ecological systems and just the overall health of the climate but there is you know it's not a perfect system and growing any plant at a large scale especially as a monocrop has its downfalls so maybe you know we'll have to do some quote-unquote synthetic biology to get cannabinoids in the future. Um, growing knowledge of genome editing with CRISPR-Cas9, which is the main kind of genome editing system technology, it's expected to be increasingly employed to improve cannabis plant health, quality, and safety of products. I don't know if I agree with that, but um, it's a thing. Human genome expression studies, also known as nutrigenomics, should be linked to shifts in cannab cannabis metabolomics, 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 studies metabolomics. of Thank you, <laughs> Dr. Anna. Um, induced by the microbiome across production environments. So not this can also help determine the wellness or disease status of the human body, which should go along with what we're learning with cannabis because it's all in conjunction. So, with more data from omics and Cas9, for instance, there can be improved diagnosis, monitoring, and therapy of diseases by identification of biomarkers in view of personalized medicine. Because I think that's that's pretty much where healthcare is going. It's going to be very individualized. Hopefully, for you know that'll be accessible to the wider human population, but. It probably won't be at first, of course. I just hope that that's a thing. Uh, London, take it away, please, with conclusions and future prospects. Okay, well, I thought, like, the, the conclusions is pretty prototypical of, <laughs> sorry about the ridiculously lame pump, um, of, of these research papers. It's very kind of, we need to do a lot. 
we're, we're really behind. <laughs> we don't have a lot of the research. Um, we need to explore this ability to use bacteria in a beneficial way. We are at this point in time. Um, there are many products on the lot, on, on the market right now that are actually beneficial bacterias, um, but we are we don't have any research on what these will end up being in the end product. And we're, there's just so much that needs to be researched and found out, and we're just so far behind it that that's kind of how it just concludes. Uh, and the emerging cannabis sector, it's like just lacks any sort of proper build or study or or or. or what's necessary to be done and the, the biocontrols and the culture behind cannabis and the people producing cannabis don't make things a lot very easy in the process as well so we really need to be able to work and and get a lot of studying done and improve the health and safety of cannabis through these methods through studying and calculating like anna said earlier it's about you know, start to finish, seed to sale, the entire process, and even into the extract method and how much we're doing and, and, and measuring every last little bit of it and seeing what the relating health of the people who are taking in this medicine. We have a whole region of science to explore here. And it's based, and it, okay, there's especially with the cannabinoids being created in with 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 bacteria and beneficial biocontrols there's a lot of opportunity here for us to accelerate and move forward with the science as long as we can do it so and mitigate the risks as much in an agricultural method as possible i don't think in the long run and this is i'm i think that's kind of concludes <laughs> the whole thing there and it, this is a little bit more opinion i don't think in the the long run there's going to be like a set we need to, when it comes to large proportion agriculture and monocrops like we were talking about earlier and how how to control these these bacterial sections that are created i think we're going to need to look at more of a system in which agriculturally we aren't doing monocrop growing we, we we need to find ways of not doing that or at least doing a rotation of soil that's a little bit more intelligent in a large agricultural scheme uh, because it does create this prevalent ability for a monoculture destructive mold or bacteria to take over everything. You, if you look historically, like the potato blight, like completely, like almost ruined Ireland. <laughs> like, I mean, like it, it fucked people up. People lived off of one type of potato and a potato blight nipped it. So we need to really be able to understand and explore this whole area. I'm excited to be seeing it happen in front of my eyes. I hope that concludes us up nicely. What do you think, Casey? Thanks, London. This is Casey, yeah. I mean, as a review paper, it was definitely definitely saying, like, we just need more information. And it even, like, spelled out and graphically showed us, like, how much lacking we are in cannabis science, especially in genomic like it's i mean they mentioned like top down they're they're mostly just studying the medicinal and and human side of things and that they're but the effect on our health but not necessarily the plant itself which <laughs> it's an organism it's gonna have good and bad things coming along with it like i don't understand how we're not paying more attention to this so i mean i just really want to say you know we need to be very careful about where we source our cannabis from. 
and I I feel I'm, I just feel really scared for people who live in states and countries where it's not allowed or regulated because they're you're forced to have to use a dealer and those dealers you don't know where the flip they're getting their cannabis from it could be laced with all not laced but it could be harboring microorganisms that are not visible to the naked eye so i just really want to stress that you know look out for yourself and look out for your friends that you know are purchasing cannabis like if they have the opportunity to source products from reputable tested places always 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 make that choice because like here in california they have to test for everything they have to, i mean you know cannabinoid content and, and terpene profiles are one thing but like i want to know like are there pesticides is there mold like they better be testing for that and i've always freaked out about that like growing up and consuming cannabis as a teenager and a young adult because even a lot of the dispensaries in los angeles where i grew up you know they were not necessarily regulated they were kind of um i, I we call them trap houses but <laughs> um yeah very questionable quality and i'm sure that's the case for a lot of other places this is Molly. I was just gonna say you're actually not that far, you know, from the truth when you mentioned laced, because there are definitely countries where that's happening. Because oh yeah, you, you can't, you have no authority to go to to actually file a complaint. So because people have no choice and they have no uh, structure or like uh, a system where they could, you know, address these issues and hold the person you know, who produce that product accountable. Unfortunately, because there's none of that, uh, these dealers get away with doing those things. And people do get like things like methadrone laced into cannabis because, for example, in the post-Soviet bloc, they actually sell most of their cannabis in the grinded-up form. So you can't mm. really assess the quality of your product if it's already all ground up. And then on top of that, um, a lot of the times to get rid of the old product, they also spray it with um, some kind of like amphetamines or stimulators. So I've definitely heard some stories where people are very concerned about consuming cannabis and they know that it has medicinal properties, but they also understand that the country they're in and what they ended up trying that one time was not how it was supposed to go, which is something that I'm you know, really glad about that. Um, People are, you know, understanding that this is not how it's supposed to affect you because in my eight years in Canada and having so many um, folks that I know who smoke on a regular basis, I haven't heard a single person who said that they were having like a stimulant type of experience from cannabis. You know, it's never really like that. And uh, yeah, to me, that's like one of the biggest reasons why I try to kind of advocate for um, either decriminalization or legalization because... Uh, people need to be able to have access to a safe product or if the product is not safe like anything else they should be able to go and file a complaint with a bureau of like consumption uh, of any goods because let's say if you buy 
skin product, you know, like a cream, and then it gives you a severe allergic reaction, you can go back and, you know, pursue rectifying that with the producer and, you know, looking into their manufacturing papers and all their lab results and trying to get to the bottom of it. So I really hope that a lot of the governments realize that having cannabis illegal and not giving people access to all that testing and safe consumption and having a system in place in case that people have adverse reactions, that that only puts their population at risk. Having it illegal is more dangerous because people have to go on the streets, because people have to consume the product that is not tested and they can't ever complain or try to find out what was wrong with it and it's just not helping anyone so for me that's kind of the biggest reasons why i talk about it because i don't want people to be scared of the plant just because they had a bad experience because they couldn't get access to something that was natural and safe and i'm complete this is casey thanks molly that's so real um, I just wanted to, Dr. Anna, did you want to say something real quick? I was, after this, I was going to open it up to the audience to see if anybody oh, yeah. wanted to ask I was going to say, I 100% agree with you, Molly. Unregulated products are um, definitely contributing to people getting ill and they have no course of action. Consumer protection is what regulation can lead to and that, and it's so important especially since we don't know so much about this plant and i was gonna say i had two points before <laughs> you you were started talking molly but um there's a meme that there's so much cannabis research like if you go to google scholar and you type in cannabis like thousands of papers pop up however that research is not on the cannabis plant and it's not on, um, you know, the cannabis microbiome or, or, or fungus or any of these important things that we were talking about today. What most of those um, papers are on are psychological um, addiction, um, habit forming, blah, blah, blah. They're not on cannabis. Um, they're on how harmful it is or how it can, you know, lead to various... Um, psychological disorders addiction habits things like that so when when you see that pop up in your news feed on your social media just realize there there is a lot of cannabis research but it's not the cannabis research that we need to put in the hands of the people who are consuming this plant for 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 fine but also for medicine um that that research is still severely lacking and especially with the modern tools that we have today with genetics and things like that and then also um in reference to being able to produce cannabinoids uh through you know yeasts being able to manufacture them instead of the plant that's great if you're only looking for a solo you know a, a, a an isolated cannabinoid so we can get a yeast to pump out you know, THCA or or Delta 10 or whatever the case may be. But in terms of whole plant research or whole plant um, therapy, which is what a lot of people find most helpful, those singular compounds are not really good except for maybe in the pharmaceutical industry, um, not necessarily for, for the average consumer looking for the whole plant experience. And I'm complete.
And there you have it, everybody. Another episode of the Resonate Radio podcast. Thank you so much for making it all the way through to the end. We appreciate the downloads, the follows. Leave us a review if you're listening to us on the Apple podcast. Please subscribe and hit the bell over on YouTube and Twitch. You can find us over there at Resonate Media. You can also find us on Instagram at Team Resonate. You can also send us an email to info at ResonateCannabis.com. I hope you all have a wonderful day and thank you so much again for taking the time to listen to us here on Resonate Radio. We'll see you again next time. Thank you.